welcome to the Sex Positive Podcast. I am your host, Carrie Ann Hanoski, social worker and sex educator. This month I'm talking about how to teach your preschooler about sex and sexuality. Young kids are very curious, they have lots of questions, and being open to these questions without judgment, especially at this age, shows them that you're a source of support. So today I want to go through what to keep in mind, how to address the, you know, common weird feeling about talking to your kids about sex, but also that the way that you talk about sexuality sends messages that last a lifetime. So stay tuned and I'm going to help boost your confidence as a parent, how to have some of these conversations and keep having these conversations throughout their life and yours. And as always, a trigger warning, if you are a trauma survivor and you're listening to this podcast and you need to take a break, please hit the pause button, do some deep breathing, go for a walk or move, and please come back when you're ready. So today I want to go through some ways to start this conversation, and I'm probably going to do a few different episodes with different age groups. So I wanted to start with the preschool age. And this is usually between the ages of, I'll say three to five, um, because kids tend to also go to daycare. Um, And kids start to develop a lot of questions around this age. If you're a parent like myself, uh, this age group, there are a lot of why questions, because children at this age are figuring out the world around them. And they're looking to their caregivers to answer some of those questions. So you're going to have questions about sex and sexuality. At this age, there's also questions about gender and gender expression, gender presentation. Um, What is a normal behavior tends to come from a lot of parents that I work with. So I wanted to create this episode as a guide to start having these conversations early because it really does show that you as a parent are open to these questions, that there isn't any judgment or silly or shameful question to ask. And that goes a really long way in terms of you being a source of support. And it normalizes that sexuality is an open conversation to have at any point in time. If children over the lifespan don't get this information, they are open to other people providing that information. And that's where sexual health education becomes a prevention tool for sexual assault and trauma. So what should you keep in mind? Well, the way you talk about sexuality is going to send a tone or a message that lasts a lifetime. And these conversations aren't just about sharing information because they're gonna get a biology lesson at school somewhere around grade four, grade five. You are actually teaching values and attitudes and how to form healthy relationships when you start having these conversations. And this is where conversations about boundaries and consent first start to show up. How do we respect each other's space? How do we acknowledge you know, body autonomy? How you talk is one of the first lessons you can give your kids about sexuality. 
So your tone, your words, your facial expressions, your willingness or unwillingness to answer these questions, it encouraged the child's natural curiosity, but that also is going to impact how they feel about themselves and whether they see you as a source of safe information or even coming to you when they're older, it sets the tone for the lifetime of having these types of conversations. So I have so many parents that come to me and they tell me, I feel so weird talking to my kids about sex. Like there's a huge taboo in that I can't have these conversations. And I think when we start to get into when there's sexual abuse within the family, there tends to be a lot of difficulty having these conversations. Maybe this conversation is very triggering to your own trauma. Um, but it is a very common thing to feel weird about talking about sexuality with your kids. So please try to manage your reactions in the moment, at least, so you don't transfer shame or anxiety onto them. And remembering that kids at a young age are pretty much a blank slate. They don't know that adults see certain body parts and activities as sexual, so they're not going to understand why some people are uncomfortable talking about it. So please do your best to try and address questions about sex, about self-pleasure and masturbation in a positive way or just even a neutral way. Being very matter-of-fact and realistic actually encourages them to come to you when they have questions in the future. So for example, you might want to think about what you're going to say about why people have sex. Is it something that people do when they're in love? Is it something that grown-ups sometimes choose to do with each other? To feel good, to feel close to each other, to have a baby, all of these things sometimes but not with others. Again, you don't have to go into detail at this age about all the complicated reasons why people have sex, but for now it's more about communicating what's most important to you. And that really comes back to value systems. So really think ahead. What are your value systems? Conversations about sex and self-pleasure not only give you an opportunity to share accurate information with your kid, it's also an opportunity to talk about your own values. So your values as a family, in a relationship, personal values, all of those things influence how you talk about sex and sexuality. So think ahead of time. What kind of messages do you want to send? And it's a really good idea to talk about these values with any co-parents or caregivers or caretakers so you're all on the same page how you're going to have that conversation. So the question I get quite often is just, how do I talk about sex? And the most important thing is to be open and honest and available when your kid wants to talk and to really encourage questions and learning and asking where they got this information, what did they see or hear, or what do they think that that means? I think it's really important to, to remember it's normal to feel a little awkward when you're having some of these talks, but remember that preschoolers don't realize this is a difficult topic for adults. Again, they're a blank slate. They have no reference point, 
and they're looking for you to answer questions that they might have. So having a negative reaction or refusing to answer, um, it really sends a message that your child's just natural curiosity is bad and that it's not okay to come to you with these questions. So if you're, even if you're feeling flustered or frustrated or, you know, shy, um, just really try to keep calm and positive. Because when we're talking to younger kids, it's common for parents to just frame sex as only something married grown-ups do when they want to have a baby. Well, of course, that's one big reason why people have sex, but it's okay even for kids to understand that grown-ups have sex for other reasons, like pleasure or to express love or to feel closer to a partner. So the other question I get quite often is, when should I start talking with my kid about sex and relationships? And research tells us that kids and teens who have regular conversations with their parents and caregivers about sex and relationships are less likely to take risks with their sexual health. They're more likely to be healthy and safe, use things like birth control, wait to have sex until they're older. I think that it's never too early and it's never too late to start talking with your kid about sex and relationships. I mean, as soon as kids start learning to talk, you can teach them names of body parts. And as soon as they start being around other kids, you can teach them about respecting other people, about boundaries and limits, about talking about their feelings, about consent. And these things all lay the groundwork for healthy sexual relationships and just relationships later on. So how do you keep that conversation age appropriate? Well, it's all about the details you include. So for example, if a five-year-old asks, you know, what's birth or where does a baby come from? You can respond by saying a baby comes out of a mother's body. But if a 10-year-old asks the same question, your answer could have more detail and start with things like at nine months, A baby is coming out of a mother's uterus and it comes through the birth canal through her vagina. You can give much more detail. I mean, don't worry if your kid is in middle school or high school and you haven't started talking about this stuff yet. It's never too late and there are lots of ways to get that conversation going. And don't try to just kind of catch up all at once. (laughs) I will caution you on that one. It can be very overwhelming It's better to have lots of little talks over time, which is why I'm doing this podcast today. The most important thing you can do is really make it clear to your kid that they can ask you questions or come to you for support without fear of shame or judgment or criticism. So another very common question that I get is, what do I do if I see my preschooler touching their genitals? It's okay to feel embarrassed or uncomfortable if you see your child doing this behavior. Please remember, it is perfectly normal and healthy. I need to say that again. It is perfectly normal and healthy for your kids to explore their bodies. It's very common for babies, toddlers, young kids to touch their genitals during diaper changes, bath time, any random time, 
Because really at this age, nudity and self-pleasure and masturbation is more about reflexes or curiosity. It has nothing to do with it being sexual. It's attached to their body if they have a penis or, you know, I, I just, I, I cannot emphasize this enough that little kids don't see genitals as sexual or inappropriate in any way. They just start to learn that touching them feels good. So reacting to this behavior with shock or anger, scolding, punishment, shaming them, it really can leave a lifelong legacy of your child feeling ashamed of their genitals, of being sexual or touching themselves or using, you know, self-pleasure or masturbation. And I just, I really want to emphasize this, that it probably won't stop them from doing it. It can cause feelings of guilt in an unhealthy relationship with their body, and that will impact their future sex life and relationships. So if there's one thing that I can give you out of this podcast, if you see them doing it, just normalize. They're being curious, they're exploring, and it is not something they're doing that is sexual in any sort of way. Again, you can teach them that touching their genitals is not something to do in public or it's not appropriate or there's certain places that that's okay. Giving preschoolers that are old enough to understand privacy, that might be another route to go. Um, So trying to convince them to stop touching themselves, it really is more a conversation about boundaries. So for example, you could say something like, I know that feels good and it's okay to do that in your room or in the bathroom. It's not okay to touch your penis in front of other people. That is something that is private. So it's normalizing that they want to be curious, you're validating that, but there's also time and place for being sexual and pleasuring themselves or just being curious about Um, their own genitals. And again, self-exploration, masturbation, self-pleasure, those are actually some of the first steps in figuring out what do you like? And it's a really important part of developing a sex-positive relationship with yourself because when you learn what you're interested in, especially as you get older, you can then communicate that to a partner. So you can see how This is being formed even as a preschooler where the normalizing of it's okay to touch yourself and your genitals, just you're not going to do that in certain places. So sometimes the conversation about sex and sexuality, um, it stems from your preschooler walking in on you and your partner having sex. So again, it's natural to feel embarrassed, but kids at this age probably have no idea what you're doing or what it means. So in the moment, please try and be just very matter of fact and say something like, we're having private time. Can you please close the door and go to your playroom? If you did happen to yell or react in a way that could be upsetting to your kid, You can apologize later and explain that you were surprised, uh, that they didn't do anything wrong. But you can also ask them what they saw and if they have any questions. 
and mention that they need to knock <laughs> before coming into other people's rooms. Again, a good conversation about boundaries. But you can be honest with your kid and still give an explanation that leaves out the details of sex, like that was something for grown-ups. Sometimes we do that in private to feel good or we show that we love each other. It's not harmful for kids to know that sex exists. And depending on your comfort level, whether you've had conversations about sex before, it is okay just to say we were having sex and see if they have some follow-up questions. So how do you have this conversation if it's not a surprise and if you have some planning, if you've figured out what your values are and how you'd like to maybe start this conversation, things to keep in mind are keeping it simple and concrete. So for kids this young, keep your answers basic. Don't stress too much about explaining all the details of sperm and eggs and penis and vagina sex. Um, the conversation probably won't get that far. I also think types of relationships, whether that is lesbian relationships, gay, trans, gender definitely comes into this conversation as well. Um, but I think, again, don't stress too much about explaining all the details. And maybe the conversation won't even get that far. But I think just at this age, they may not be interested in that. They may not even really understand that these things exist and let them guide the conversation with their questions so you know better than anyone what your kid can understand and you'll know when they're bored and overwhelmed and they just want to go play and do something else but the first of many of these conversations and they're not too young to start learning things like body parts um, but some parents really think that their kids are too young to learn about pregnancy and reproduction but the very fact that kids are asking shows that they do want and need this information. And avoiding these conversations isn't going to make your child's natural curiosity go away. This is quite often where things like looking things up on Google or the internet, there's a lot of research that says kids now learn more from pornography uh, than they do sexual health information from their teachers and peers is the way that they're learning. Um, so I just, I really want to normalize this conversation because it teaches kids that they can't rely on you for information and support. And they're going to go and find where that information is thanks to the internet. There's a lot of misinformation that that can lead to. And I think that's a very risky route to take. Having lots of small conversations as well as your kid grows up really helps them understand this information. It also does make your relationship stronger with them because it enables them to make healthy decisions when they're teenagers and adults. So please don't worry if you're feeling like you're having the perfect answer. The most important message really is to get across that their curiosity is okay. And that they can always come to you with questions and concerns without fear. Because you'll have plenty of opportunities to talk more and more as they grow. But I really, again, want to emphasize, think ahead of time what you're going to say. Because being prepared can help you feel more confident and less anxious. 
Think about what you're going to say when your child starts asking about where they came from or how people make babies and talk it over with your co-parents in your life so you're all on the same page. And you can even ask other parents or family members for suggestions. Someone like a sex educator like me is also a great resource. Another way to really be prepared too is to get some age appropriate books about bodies and where babies come from. Again, you can read them with your child when you're not sure how to explain something or just to help start the conversation if your child hasn't started asking questions already. Probably one of my favorite books to recommend is It's Not the Stork by Robbie Harris. Another book I really like as well is... The book is called Bodies Are Cool by Tyler Fedder. And then the other book I probably would recommend is It Feels Good to Be Yourself, which is a book about gender identity. And that's written by Teresa Thorne. And then my favorite book for this age group is What Makes a Baby by Corey Silverberg. And it's a book for every kind of family and every kind of kid. And I recommend that book because families are made in many ways. And think about how you'll address that with your kid. Because some people have sex to make babies, some people adopt, some people use IVF or surrogacy. So it's good to let your preschooler know that there's no one way for people to become parents. Your child probably will come across all kinds of families that look different than yours, especially once they get to school and they start talking about it with their little friends. It's a really good idea to be prepared to talk about it. So books are a great place to start, but your preschooler may have already started asking these questions on their own because they are naturally curious about the world around them. They might see someone who is pregnant or maybe the family dog has puppies. There may be no obvious reason why they're asking, but please just do your best to answer their questions honestly and in a matter of fact way. Avoiding the subject and answering really just dishonestly i.e. the stork sent you, um, saying you're too young to know that, it does send the message that their curiosity is bad and that they can't trust you with their questions in the future. Because inev inevitably, young kids will ask you some variation of where do babies come from? So this will boost your confidence, parents. Remember, simple is better at this age and just rehearse the answer. Babies grow in a mom's belly and then come out of her vagina. It might be enough information for them, but that is a really great answer to rehearse. If they have more questions about how the baby gets in there, you can say something like, most women have tiny eggs in a special part of their belly. Most men have very tiny seeds called sperm. Sometimes when two grown-ups have sex together, one grown-up's penis goes into the other's vagina. They can make a baby if the seed and egg meet. Do you have any other questions about that? But generally, kids are satisfied with much more simpler explanations than that. This is also 
sexual health education that is framed in a heteronormative lens because we have same-sex couples. <laughs> so it's really important to also look at the structure of your family. How are you going to explain two lesbians having sex or two gay men having sex? Again, it's giving answers that are reflected in your value system, but you need to give them a very simple, honest, and direct answer. They may also have questions about things like nipples or breasts or pointing and saying, what's that? Again, if you feel comfortable, it's best to use real names for body parts. Don't give them nicknames. I cannot emphasize this enough because if your child has somebody who does touch them inappropriately, they need to be able to come to you with the appropriate words. Penis, testicles, breasts, vulva, vagina, these names actually normalize just like elbows and toes so they don't feel shame or fear when they talk about their bodies. How they should be treated and what they're capable of, it is a very, very important thing to give this age group actual names for body parts. It's normal for younger kids to be pretty wowed with the new information. I will <laughs> just say that, having a five-year-old myself, um, they may want to talk a lot about it. They may bring it up at really inappropriate times. So that also might be part of the boundary conversation. So while it's important to help your child feel comfortable talking about these topics, it's also a good idea to really teach them about people's boundaries around these types of conversations. And the information I'll give you is just something like these topics can feel really private for some grown-ups. I'm happy to answer any questions you have, but if someone says they don't want to talk about it, you need to stop talking about it with them. So you can help them identify other safe and trustworthy adults in their life, like a co-parent, a grandparent, other family members, but it is a very important lesson to let them know some people you can have this conversation, some people are not as comfortable having this conversation. So when we talk about sex positivity, communication skills are another very basic skill that we need to also start teaching preschoolers. How they communicate their needs and wants and feelings, all are forms of healthy communication skills. So being able to talk about sex is also going to be part of this conversation. Healthy communication skills means being able to express what you're feeling and thinking, and it means listening and understanding the thoughts and feelings of other people, because communication is a key to forming healthy friendships and relationships of all kinds. So preschoolers are still developing language skills and expressing their emotions, and they will be for many years to come. But some ways to teach them to get better at using their words now can be things like being there to comfort them and talk it out when they're upset. Again, most likely they're already going to turn to you for love and comfort when something upsets them, but encourage them to keep coming to you. Even if they're worried they'll get in trouble or you won't understand, if they come to you for help about something that upsets you, 
do your best to stay calm so they can continue coming to you when they're having a difficult time. Another communication skill I'll emphasize is reminding kids to use their words, asking them to speak up when they're feeling negative emotions instead of acting them out. That is teaching them how to label what they're feeling and connecting sensations in their body to a word or a color. Um, That way people can know how to help them feel better if they can share how they're feeling. Another thing is giving them tools to process their emotions on their own before they can communicate them. So one of the things I've taught my kid is deep breathing. Deep breathing or private time in their room can go a really long way in helping us figure out why they're upset and then what they want to say about it. So if you see a tantrum coming at this age, Encourage them to spend a few minutes in their room to cry or think or deep breathe or scream into a pillow if they don't want to be held. Um, this really depends on the temperament of your kid. I will never encourage you just to leave your child alone when they're crying. Always check in with them and ask, what, what do they need? Do they want a hug? Do they need some time by themselves? You're, you're creating a scaffold of coping skills for a lifetime. So please use some of those strategies as well because it will help them come out of that space a little calmer and more ready to use their words. The last thing will be having some rules about name calling and insults and teasing and other behaviors that don't feel so good. Make sure that they know that you won't tolerate this kind of thing because other people's feelings matter and everyone deserves love and respect. So telling them why these things are not okay is also going to help them learn empathy and avoid becoming a bully. So another question that I get is, what should I teach my preschooler about healthy social skills and relationships? So it's going to be a long time before your little one's in a relationship, but the safety and love and connection and support that they get in their family now with you as parents, it's going to teach them lessons on how to form healthy friendships and relationships later. How you communicate well is going to shape that ability in leaps and bounds. So what should you keep in mind? Well, the first piece is a sense of security that you're going to provide at this age is a key part in their emotional development. Being there for them when they're sad or they're scared and making your home a safe place to land, showing affection, withholding, hugs, kisses, all are important for preschoolers and their emotional development. This is what a healthy attachment looks like and a secure attachment to their caregiver. Think through of your values again when it comes to friendship and relationships so you can give a clear message to your little one. And it may be hard to imagine your kid grown up someday, but for a second, try to picture them in 15 years or so and they're having their first romantic relationship and they're having deeper, more long-lasting friendships. What values do you want them to carry into those relationships? And it may be things like respect, trust, equality, and communication. 
And those are all things really high on your list. So think about how you instill some of those values now as they're learning to interact with you and the people around them. And part of this is modeling. Modeling this behavior and what you want to see in them is also important too. Don't forget how observant they are. They are little sponges at this age and they pick up attitudes and behaviors of older kids and adults around them, what they see on television, Treating your kid and other people in your life according to your values will do a lot to help them learn how they should treat others. So whether they're on the playground or they're at preschool or they're playing in the neighborhood, children at this age form friendships very fast. I think my little guy has a best friend every single day. So little kids learn a lot from these interactions. They use games, they play make-believe to make sense of the world around them. So your little one may already have their own unique charms and talents that are going to attract friends wherever they go. Um, Their temperament comes into play around this age. Being pandemic kids, a lot of them have had delays in their social skills if they have been kept home or out of daycare or preschool. So they may be shy and in need of encouragement in interacting with other kids. But the basis of lasting friendships, like being kind and compassionate and respectful of boundaries, takes coaching from you and the adults in their lives. So look for opportunities. Look for ways to encourage sharing or being kind or taking turns, teaching them that there are clear expectations about hitting or name calling or any sort of bullying behavior. And it's really important to ask them questions about other kids that they get to know, let them talk about their little friends, but be supportive and praise good behavior. So a few examples I'll give is you can say things like, you know, friends are nice to each other and taking turns talking and listening to each other are important. Um, encouraging them by saying things like, you were so kind sharing your toys at the park today, and I'm really proud of you for doing that. And when they're upset, use your words to explain feelings so people around you know why you feel that way. It's a very important thing to teach them how to label feelings, and we will get to more on that later, but giving them language is very, very important at this age. We've talked a lot about sexual health and sexuality and safety. And one area that I would just like to highlight as well is gender. Gender is a social construct. It is how we express ourselves in the world. It is not necessarily the sex you are born with. And as a parent, this can be a very confusing conversation, especially depending on where you live and the social supports you have, the people in your life, different attitudes and value systems you may have. But I just want to emphasize that at this age, your little one is picking up on all kinds of messages about gender from the day they're born. And in so many ways, society tells us how boys and girls are supposed to look and speak and dress. And in their attempt to sort out the world around them, 
they also may form rigid ideas about gender and what it means for them. So most kids actually begin to strongly identify with a gender around age three. And that includes transgender and gender non-conforming people. So having a sense of gender identity is pretty early because I have so many parents that come back and say, well, this is just a phase. (laughs) And I just have to continue to come back to it's a social construct and it can change over the lifespan. And please stay where your kid is at. Thinking through your values when it comes to gender while your kid is still small are very important. People have different beliefs when it comes to gender roles and gender stereotypes and gender expression. And if you think about these things ahead of time, please consider the messages that you want to send to your child so you'll be better at talking about them. But maybe you want your child to feel free to express themselves however they want to. Maybe you want them to feel they can accomplish anything, no matter what their gender. And maybe you want them to grow up and appreciate the contributions of all genders in in their lives and their world. So understanding your own values will help you focus your thoughts and express them better to your kid. The next thing I will say is be thoughtful about your choices when it comes to books, toys, clothes, decorations, other things you surround your little one with, because these choices have an influence on your kid's understanding of what gender is and what it means. So putting pink in your daughter's room and blue sports stuff in your boy's room before they're old enough to choose for themselves, it can send a message that they have to do certain things because of their gender. I will just also say that there are different types of families that exist and starting to have these types of conversations because little kids notice, they comment on everything. And your kid may notice another kid at the playground who has a different kind of family than them or a family with a different number of parents or grandparents raising children or two moms or two dads or any number of situations. These are good teachable moments. So please take a minute and explain to your child that they're right and what they're noticing is different from your family, that there's nothing wrong with that, and that they can always be friends with people who are different than them. Because you're going to be steering your kid in a direction of respecting others as they grow up. And one day, that will also help them figure out the kind of family they want to build for themselves. So when addressing gender roles and gender stereotypes, because kids get ideas of what it means to be a boy or a girl, even explaining things like there is male, female, and intersex, there, are, there is a binary of boys and girls, but you can also be neither or both. It is really important to start giving them this language very early and also the people around them influence them. The way they act, the way they dress, the way they wear their hair or talk or behave. They're so influenced by those boxes that society puts on them that from the time they're born, they're based on gender stereotypes. So think footballs, trucks, superheroes for boys and dolls and princesses and pink for girls. 
but you can expand those those narrow gender boxes and include a range of other influences. When you pick a new toy, you sign your kid up for a new activity, ask yourself some questions like, how do I help my child with these gender stereotypes? Would I feel comfortable with this choice if my kid wasn't the gender they are? And why or why not? Does this choice expand or limit my kid's expectations of who they could grow up to be? Does my kid generally like these things already? Or am I just picking something because of their gender? Again, it's giving them choices as much as possible and paying attention to what they're really into rather than what you think girls or boys are supposed to have or like. Because keep in mind that gender stereotypes have the potential to really affect and limit boys as much as girls. It's also being mindful of how you talk around your kid too. So talking to or in front of your daughter about growing up and having boyfriends or marrying a man or vice versa. Again, it sends a message that girls are supposed to like boys and boys are supposed to like girls and that anything else is wrong or not normal. Kids at this age don't know their sexual orientation yet. So assuming that they're straight could just make them scared to come to you or feel bad about themselves later. And this can lead to a lot of mental health issues, to unhealthy friendships and relationships, and taking more risks when they reach adolescence. So if you catch your kid talking about gender, engage them in that conversation. You may hear them say things like, only girls wear pink, or I don't like playing with boys. Well, ask them questions about why they think that. And if they're rooted in stereotypes, it's, an, it's a great opportunity to give them the right information. And if you're really trying hard to fight gender stereotypes in your home, but your kid really just likes the typical stuff, don't worry, because at this age, lots of little girls love princess stuff and lots of little boys love superheroes and sports, but it's part of them forming their gender identity. And all of it is okay because it's exploration. And as your kid gets older, their tastes and interests may change. They may be ready for more new stories and new toys and new activities. So just a bit more information around gender in exploring transgender kids or gender non-conforming. Transgender means you identify with a different gender from the one you were assigned at birth. Gender non-conforming means your gender identity or expression doesn't go along with traditional ideas of just male or female. It could mean that you identify with words like non-binary, gender queer, or something else. A lot of adults will use words like gender expansive or gender creative to describe children with non-binary gender expressions. So while we don't know how many people are transgender, uh, the research is showing between 11 to 13% of the population, which is actually a lot of people. So how do you know if your kid is transgender or gender non-conforming or they're just playing around? So kids tell you what their gender is 
in a way that's very definitive. Trans and gender nonconforming kids are consistent, number one. They don't go back and forth about their gender. They clearly identify with one particular gender identity. They are insistent. (laughs) They feel very strongly about their identity and they get upset when they're told that they're not the gender that they say they are. And they're also persistent. How they identify themselves stays over time. So this is not a phase. I have so many parents that come to me and say, you know, this is a phase. They're going to grow out of it. It's just adolescence. Um, so just because your little boy likes Frozen <laughs> or your little girl likes Bob the Builder, um, it doesn't necessarily mean they're transgender. It doesn't mean that they're gay or queer either. No matter what, the best thing you can do is just support them with how they want to express themselves and help them feel safe no matter what. And if you think your child might be transgender and you don't know what to do, talking with a counselor or a therapist like myself, who's familiar with LGBTQ identities is a very good idea. Do not make assumptions if you don't know. Talking with other families with trans or gender nonconforming kids can be helpful too for both you and your child. So community groups like PFLAG, which is across the U.S. and Canada, may be very helpful to you. And there are a lot of parenting groups online that can also be very, very beneficial. And it's also a good idea to talk to your child directly about their gender. And if you think they might be transgender or gender expansive, ask them if they're a boy or a girl and how they know that to be true. If they're transgender, giving them the power to wear what they want, have a haircut that they want, using a name that reflects their gender, are all going to be really important to help them stay safe and feel safe, especially once they're going to start school. So talking to your child about this stuff and what the gender spectrum is, is a very, very good place to start. So trying to steer your kid towards more typical gender expression, if that's not their instinct to do, it does more harm than good. And being told that it's bad for boys to play with dolls or do ballet, for example, can make your kid feel ashamed and rejected. So over time, LGBTQ kids who aren't supported by their parents tend to take greater risks with their health and they suffer from mental health conditions like depression and anxiety at significantly higher rates than kids who have supportive parents. Your love and understanding on these issues will be extremely important as your kid grows up. So just a short intermission here to go get some cold water, move around, take a break, and come back when you're ready. So another area I will explore is safety. And in having this conversation, you are promoting their own bodily autonomy, but you're also creating safety for them. Because 
knowing where they are and who they're with at all times is important to keeping them safe. And when it comes to sexual health, it's really important to know that abuse usually happens by someone you know or somebody that your kid knows. And abuse by someone you know, if that's an extended family member, a caretaker, a parent, it's far more common than abuse by a stranger in the park or someone randomly on the street. That doesn't mean you should prevent your kid from ever talking to anybody, (laughs) which would be impossible. But it does mean it's important to teach your child what's okay and what's not okay for adults and older children and teenagers to do to them. Teaching them to come to you if anything feels off can really help you catch abuse early or even before it happens. The second thing I will say is be careful about who you trust to spend time alone with your child. Know where your kid is and what adults are there at all times. Take steps to find out the reputation of a professional caregiver that you hire. If that's a daycare center, a babysitter, a coach, a teacher, ask for references, get background checks, look at appropriate licensing because children are vulnerable and giving them some of these skills will help, but it's also your due diligence as an adult to look at some of these, you know, reputable people in your life to look after your child. The other thing I just, I will say, and not to discount is listening to your gut, but above all, listen to your kid. And this can be especially difficult if the person your kid feels is unsafe or uncomfortable is someone that you love or you are close with. But children very rarely make up stories about abuse. Like I said, they're usually a blank slate. They have no reference point. And unless something has happened, they they wouldn't have that information. So please believe them. It's very rare that they will make up stories. So if they say your significant other, your niece, your nephew, your cousin is abusing them or making them feel uncomfortable, it's so important to believe them. It's so important for their healing and stopping the abuse. So a big question that I get, and this is a heavy one, what can I do to prevent my child from being abused? Anything that takes advantage of a child or hurts a child can be considered abuse. There are many kinds of abuse, whether that's physical, emotional, psychological, and sexual abuse. Keep in mind sexual abuse can happen to any child in a family, and it can happen to children as young as the preschool years. That reality, it does feel really scary, but there are things you can do to lower the chances that it will happen to your kid. So the first thing, and I have said this earlier, Teach your child the words for their body parts. Be clear about who is allowed to touch or see those body parts. And only you and a co-parent or a caretaker, if you're helping them with a bath, getting dressed, 
and their doctor when it's about their health and only with a parent's permission should see or touch their genitals. The second point I would say is normalize something like tell me right away if someone hurts you or if someone makes you feel unsafe or weird. So with this one, please be as specific as possible. And you can rehearse saying something like, tell me right away if someone makes you feel weird or unsafe. And especially if they ask you to take off your clothes or kiss you or touch you in a way that you don't like or it feels wrong. But let them know it's very important to tell you right away. The third point I will share, let them know that they'll never be in trouble for telling you and believe them if they do. Because people who sexually abuse children will tell them a million lies to keep the abuse a secret. Make sure your kid knows that any touch that someone asks them to keep a secret is not okay and that they should tell you right away so you can protect them because that's your job as a parent is to keep them safe. Reassure them that they will not be in trouble for telling you. And the only way you can know if something is off is to be there for your kid on a regular basis. Have those check-in conversations of how was your day and listen to them and believe their stories and have ongoing communication with any caregiver to keep an eye out for signs of abuse that they might see. And those can be things like unexplained injuries, behavior changes, children around this age become withdrawn or upset. Um, Quite often there are problems with sleep, so things like nightmares or bedwetting. Sometimes there are symptoms of depression or trauma that show up here. So don't ignore your gut if something feels off. Sit down with your kid somewhere private where they know they feel safe and ask them open-ended questions and believe whatever they tell you. And if your child was abused, again, there is nothing short of a nightmare as finding out that your child has been abused. I just want you to know that help is available and you don't have to go this route alone. But finding out, you may find out because of something your preschooler says or you notice something like an injury or they start having nightmares. Again, if you don't see one of these signs but it's giving you a bad feeling, please listen to your gut. Sit down with them, ask them some open-ended questions, even if it sounds crazy or involves someone you know or love. Again, most abusers are known to the family. So remind them that you love them no matter what. You're so glad that they told you. And while you may get upset, they're not in trouble. Abuse is never the fault of the victim. Even if they think it was consensual or a loving relationship, and your preschooler really needs to be reminded of that. And once your preschooler has talked about what's going on, you owe it to your child and children of the community to help keep them safe from that abuse. And in many places, including Canada, you are required by law to report that abuse. 
And yes, Child Protective Services would be involved if police are also called, but it's a very important thing to get them connected and let them know you're doing everything possible to help keep them safe and that you believe them. So around this age, teaching healthy boundaries is another very important skill. Preschoolers don't always have a sense of what's okay and what's not when it comes to touching other people's bodies. And parents and other caretakers can really guide them into having respect for other people's bodies and understanding that their body deserves respect too. So early conversations about boundaries and consent, it sets up conversations later on about sexual consent when they're older. And here are a few things you can also say in terms of encouraging healthy boundaries. Things like, you never touch someone else if they tell you not to. You don't have to kiss or hug anyone you don't want to. This age group, this is very important because it can be hard sometimes to deal with family members and friends who may be offended if your kid doesn't want to hug or kiss them. But pulling that adult aside later and explaining you're trying to teach your kid about healthy boundaries really can help. But please don't force your child to hug or kiss anybody that they don't want to. And then the last thing is letting them know at this age in terms of boundaries that if anyone ever touches them in a way that makes them feel uncomfortable or they touch your penis or vulva, please tell me or another adult you trust. Again, this is their personal safety, and I will expand a little bit more on that as well. And one of the last things I'll leave you with is sometimes kids ask about, why did you choose to become a parent? Um, Well, of course, your child is a long way off from deciding whether to become a parent or not, but it doesn't mean you can't talk about those decisions. And I think it's a really good thing for kids to understand that People get to choose for themselves if they want to become parents or not. In Canada, we do have access to birth control, and especially with what has happened with Roe versus Wade in the U.S., and a lot of really great legislation has started to be put through to protect the right to abortion. I think that some of those conversations may come up um, later on, but I think It's a really important thing to let your child know that they have a choice if they do want to become a parent or not. And some people become parents and some don't. And that's a personal choice. And what's right for one person isn't always right for another. But you can talk about your kids, sorry, you can talk with your kids about how and why you decided to become a parent and also talk about other people in their lives who are child-free. Because these are talks that I think it's not about convincing your kids to follow a certain life path, but it's showing them that there are many ways for grown-ups to live their lives and make choices and be fulfilled. And that doesn't always have to include becoming a parent. And you can talk about some of the facts around some people could become pregnant and decide that they don't want to be. And this decision should be up to the pregnant person to decide for themselves, and no one should be allowed to make that decision for them. Thank you for joining me today on the Sex Positive Podcast. 
I know that's a lot of information to throw at you, but it's a podcast so you can replay it and pause and process it as you need to. So keep having those conversations about sexuality and gender, communication skills, boundaries. These are creating the foundation for a lifetime of healthy relationships. And I think there is no greater gift that a parent can give than some of these skills. And if you like my content, as always, please like, share, subscribe, tell your friends, share this one along to anybody who also has kids that are preschool age. And thanks again for tuning in today. Today's podcast was brought to you by Life Mend Psychotherapy, mending lives through healing and empowerment. You can follow me on Instagram at life.mend.psych or my website at www.lifemendpsychotherapy.com.